Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for the Tech Guy is provided by Cashfly. C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. Hi, this is Leo Laporte, and this is my Tech Guy podcast. This show originally aired on the premier radio networks, including 140 of the best stations in the U.S. and Canada, and XM Channel 158, on Sunday, April 24th, 2011. This is episode 764. Enjoy. Well, a good day to you, Leo Laporte here, the tech guy. And it's time to talk about computers and the internet and cell phones and camcorders and MP3 players and home theater. And we're actually going to cross about 18 of those off since all we really talk about these days is the internet and cell phones and a little home theater. I haven't talked about a camcorder in ages or a GPS or a PDF, PDA, I mean, talk about PDFs. How are you today? Happy Easter. I hope the bunny was good to you. I have uh, jelly beans. Lots of my wife. She's trying to fatten me up. Lots of jelly beans. Oh, and look at this. This is a Portuguese Easter bread. Every I think it's great, uh, these traditions. I know I, there's uh, uh, hot cross buns in England are an Easter bread. Panettone in Italy. This is kind of like a panettone with hard-boiled eggs in it. How cool. It's uh, Is it Massa Sovata, or is that the name of the bakery? That's the name of the bread. Thank you so much. Luisa and Luisa brought that by. Hello, everybody. I'm sure there are lots of things you'd like to talk about today. We can talk, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the BlackBerry playbook. <sighs> I had such high hopes for the playbook. I mean, what a, what a you know, I mean, on, on the hardware side, what an impressive uh, tablet. It's a 7-inch tablet. I like 7-inch tablets. I know the iPad is twice as big. It's 10 inches. You may say twice as big, 10 inches, but it is in terms of uh, square inches, you know, real estate as Steve Jobs was quick to point out six months ago in an Apple earning call when he said, I hate seven-inch tablets. We'll never make a seven-inch, what is a seven-inch? Nobody wants a seven-inch. Of course, all, everybody else is making seven-inch tablets. We Everybody wonders now, well, maybe Apple will make a seven-inch. Because you know what? It's just a, it's a little bit smaller, sure, but you could put it in your briefcase, your purse. Uh, if you have a big uh, Captain Kangaroo-style pocket, you could slide it in there. And uh, But it's big enough to play Angry Birds, and I think really that's all that matters, isn't it? After all, no angry birds on the playbook, though. See? No email either, or calendar, unless you have a BlackBerry phone and you do the bridge. So that's a little weird. It's an impressive uh, uh, feat. Uh, nice hardware, very fast. Dual-core uh, TI, Texas Instruments processor. Um, the The operating system is an interesting choice because, of course, you know, BlackBerry doesn't really have a touch operating system anymore. Microsoft has a true touch operating system in the sense that it was designed from the ground up. And so that kind of puts Microsoft at a disadvantage, BlackBerry at a disadvantage, anybody who doesn't want to use Android at a disadvantage. And the Android tablets aren't really ready yet. In fact, Google, which does the Android operating system, even kind of admitted that. They said, yeah, we rushed Honeycomb. That's their tablet version. We rushed it out. It's not very good. <laughs> That's a, that's nice for those of you who bought a Zoom. That must make you feel good. Oh, yeah, it's not very good. We didn't. <laughs> it looks like BlackBerry rushed this playbook out, too. It's interesting how much pressure Apple puts on companies, don't they? By releasing a product that is so good, the iPad and now the iPad 2, 
I mean, I, I don't know why uh, these companies feel like they can't tread water, but I guess they can in the tech industry. You've got always, like you're a shark, right? You always have to be moving ahead or you will sink. So they felt, I think, the need the, to rush a, um, a, a tablet out in order to compete because BlackBerry's losing their lunch to the iPhone in the phone space and to Android in the phone space. They're, they're starting to look like a distant third and fading fast. Is that my coffee? Oh, now, now I can do a show. Oh, I feel much better now. Uh, so this playbook feels a little rushed. It's it, this QNX operating system. BlackBerry did a smart thing. They uh, instead of writing their own thing, they they went out and they got a very stable, uh, long running operating system called QNX, which is kind of a uh, it's called what they call an RTOS, a real time operating system, which means it's a it's a it's designed to be very responsive. And, of course, that's what you need with a touch uh, tablet, don't you? And then they added touch to it, and I think they did a very, very good job of it. It multitasks beautifully. It, it feels good. It's, it's uh, responsive, but there's no apps. And, uh, and, and to be honest, I think it's going to be difficult to convince the developers of apps to write apps for the BlackBerry Playbook. They have to. This is a very difficult catch-22. They have to write a... They have to sell a lot of units before the developers will develop for it. And the developers won't develop for it unless they sell a lot of units. Kind of difficult. So I think BlackBerry, that's kind of what, the, what they're trying to do. They push this out. It's very nice. Impressing the developers with their hardware and hoping, praying. You'll see a lot of uh, numbers from RIM, the company that makes this. It's confusing, I know. BlackBerry's the brand. RIM is the company, Research in Motion. They're a Canadian company. You'll see a lot of, I think, you'll see a lot of disinformation about how many units they're selling. They already kind of said, oh, we sold 45,000 units right out of the box. April 19th is when they went on sale five days ago. 45,000 units in five days. That would be pretty impressive, wouldn't it? Except I don't think they did. I think they're doing uh, something that a lot of companies do. They're, they're quoting what they call numbers in the channel. Yeah, they sold 45,000 to stores. It's the sell that's interesting. Samsung's kind of did the same thing with uh, the Galaxy Tab sales. Hey, speaking of it, so we'll see. Uh, I, bottom line, don't run out and buy it. Even if you're a BlackBerry fan, I, I wouldn't run out and buy it. Interesting, speaking of uh, Samsung, did you see Apple suing Samsung? Saying, and they said it in this voice, you copy us. They said it just like that. You copy us. It's an exact copy. They say that this... <laughs> The Samsung Galaxy S phones are a copy of the iPhone in the same way that a counterfeit Louis Vuitton bag is a copy of the real thing. They call it trade dress. It happens a lot in the auto industry, apparently, where, where a car will come out that looks like another car and the first car company will sue the other saying, you copied our trade dress. There are patent and trademark uh, claims as well, but the trade dress mark, uh, thing is the big one. That's the one where they say, it, in effect, they're saying Samsung with its Android phones attempted to deceive us, you and me, into into thinking it was an iPhone. And I've had great debates with our geeky friends. Or my geeky friend, I do a lot of podcasts with hardcore geeks, and the hardcore geeks say, "Oh, well, of course we know the difference." But the unwashed masses, 
think that a Samsung Galaxy S is exactly like an iPhone and they were fooled? I don't think so. You tell me. 8888-ASK-LEO. You call me. Were you fooled? Did you run out and buy a Samsung Galaxy? Apple said the icons look the same. The box? They said the box looks the same. They stole our box design. Yes, the cardboard box, the phone comes in. They stole our box design. Huh? I mean, really, there's not that many ways you can make a box for a device that's roughly the same size. They said, look look at them. They look so much alike. Well, a smartphone, I mean, Apple admittedly set the standard with the iPhone in 2007. Big kind of black glass touch display with a button at the bottom and a speaker at the top. Yeah, well, I don't know. Is that copying? Can, the, the, what the court will have to decide is, did they intend to fool anybody? Did you go into a Verizon store and buy a Samsung or an AT&T store or a Sprint store or a T-Mobile store and buy a Samsung because you thought you were getting an iPhone? Come on. Really? No. You might have said to yourself, well, the iPhone's only on AT&T and I want to stay on a a different carrier, so I'll buy something kind of like it. Hmm. They really complained about the uh, Samsung... TouchWiz interface, and it's true, the icons are very similar, but even then, I mean, a contact manager, Apple's icon looks like an address book. Samsung's icon looks like an address book. Well, duh. Apple's icon for the telephone has a handset on it, telephone handset on it. So does Samsung's. They're both green. Well, come on. Really? We'll see what happens. It, you know, you, you can't predict what the courts are going to do or, or if it goes to trial, what the courts are going to do. It won't go to trial, probably. You know, Samsung is Apple's number one supplier. It supplies the processor in the iPad. Oh, what a mess. 8888-ASK-LEO. There's lots to talk about. Would you give me a ring and we'll talk? Leo Laporte, the tech guy. our Easter music, Kyle? <laughs> it did mention a rabbit. It did mention a rabbit. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. The phone number is 8888-ASK-LEO. If you have a question, a comment, a suggestion, 888-827-5536. You know, the, I, sh- I always give the phone number out, and really all you need to do is go to techguylabs.com. TechGuyLabs.com. Luis Frad in the chat room says it's a folar. Is that right? Yeah. What does that mean? A really big piece of bread? <laughs> uh, and Trinity, by the way, Kyle, Trinity is suggesting in our chat room that there is, an, see if you can find this, there is an Elmer Fudd song called Kill That Wabbit. <laughs> Luis says, I'm on it, boss. I got it. I'll get that for you. 8888-ASK-LEO. Easter Sunday. I uh, wish you a happy Easter. We celebrated uh, Passover as well on uh, Monday. In fact, uh, Alex, who uh, works in my uh, studio, he's one of our interns, brought me an incredible matzo ball soup yesterday that his grandmother, who is in her late 80s, made, and it was incredible. 
incredible. Just incredible. 888-827-5536. Our first call of the day is from Stan in Woodland Hills, California. Hey, Stan, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Good morning. Good morning. Leo, we have <laughs> antenna TV in the past, and the problems with the reception in certain areas, especially I'm, I'm in Woodland Hills, and I have a hill east of me. I don't have line of sight to Mount Wilson, and I've been expecting that translated towers would be installed up in the Chatsworth area, but nothing's happened yet. And You know what? You know what, Stan? Yes. <laughs> Get cable, because it ain't going to happen. Oh, no way. I'm a diehard. Stan is a diehard. You're the guy when they when they build a city around you, you're not going to sell that house, and they have to build the skyscraper around the house. You're not giving up. So Stan's in what we've talked about this before, the, what they call the cliff. He's suffering from the cliff effect. You bet. When we went from analog to digital television, uh, people like you, Stan, who were on the fringes and were able to get analog TV, it might not have been perfect picture. You might have had ghosting or snow. We're still able to get TV, but digital, you know, it either works fully or it doesn't work at all. And so you're on that small fringe. But, Stan, I got to wonder, I mean, how many people are in that area? Well, we uh, in our area here, we have about maybe 80 or 100,000. Oh, well, that's a lot. According, That's a lot. So there is incentive for the, the local TV stations to do something about it. Oh, Whatever yes. happened, I know Congress was talking about getting some additional funding to help people like you out. Did that ever happen? No, it didn't, because last year it never got out of committee. The uh, DTV. Yeah, ta- you know, you're hitting us at, uh, you're hitting, uh, you know, the Congress has got to cut budget everywhere, and that's probably not a high priority. Not a lot of voters in the cliff effect areas. Well, we have we only have 1.7 million people in the San Fernando Valley. It would that be seems the, like a lot of people. They should do something about it. Agreed, but they say only 14 percent are on antenna. That's the pro- oh, there's the problem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, the, it's you. It's you holdouts who are trying to get antenna television when everybody else got cable. Oh, you see, it's not only the San Fernando Valley, Simi Valley, uh, Santa Clarita area. Uh, and uh, Canal Valley are over the hill. So by putting the translator towers in, they'd be able to service people in that area who were getting good uh, analog TV before. Stan, I, I don't know what to tell you. You, you know, every it, you come. It's good that you come on, and I'm sure people are listening. And every and all the local stations in your area are. Uh, I'm sure big tech guy fans is probably a chief. In fact, if you're a chief engineer at one of the TV stations serving the San Fernando Valley, call me, 8888-ASK-LEO. What can we do to help Stan? I mean, if I were Stan, I'd have a dish by now or or a cable by now. In fact, I can get over the, well, no, wait a minute. Now, now let me think about that. We live in a small town about an hour north of San Francisco uh, called Petaluma, California, and Petaluma is too far from San Francisco. We never got the big San Francisco stations. We're just too far. We have a couple of local stations, so I would guess that uh, unless you're a complete uh, cheapskate or you don't care about television, you've got cable or dish here. You know, you've got satellite or cable. You don't. You're, nobody here is getting only antenna TV. So there's a lot of people stand in the world who don't get over-the-air television. Uh, you are in an area that used to get it, but the conversion to da- digital ruined that for you well welcome to the rest of the world you're part 
You're part of the rest of the world now. Let's go to Santa Rosa, California. Peter, you're very nearby. We don't get uh, we don't get over the air. We get a few. We get Channel 50. We get KRCB. We don't get a lot of over the air uh, stations. No, I don't think so. No, so you get cable when you're up here. Well, I mean, I'm on my channel, so I pick up something, but uh, it's not as good as a good signal. Good morning. Yeah, and guess what? Guess what? The internet goes to everybody's house. Pretty soon, you're not going to have to watch TV at all. You just watch the internet. No thanks. So, what can I do for you, Peter? Um, I've I put all my music on flash drives, one for this category, one for that category, et cetera, et cetera. And when I did it, when I set up the menu of the play menu inside or playlist inside the flash drive, I of course set it up alphabetically. Then I found out the radio doesn't care. It plays right. the order that it right. to. I've turned off random. I've turned off repeat, so it will not, you know, especially random. No, no, it's it's not using, it's not paying attention to my playlist. When you say alphabetical order, you're saying by file name. It doesn't care about the file name. That, that, well, I'm learning all this. I discovered yeah. all this. So it uses, it uses the MP3 tags. And it pro- does it sort in any order at all? Does it sort by artist order or album order or song order, or is it just completely random? Uh, if I have a B title, then a C, et cetera, it's not going to play it in that order. It will play the last album. It's, it's just it's really confusing. So what it's doing is, and this is uh, the soft. I don't know what software you're using, but this software is particularly dumb. What is it? Well, I'm using Windows XP. And using Windows Media Player. So what this software is doing is it's just playing it in the order that they are stored on the disk. No. <laughs> so, no? I set it up in alphabetical order. Yes, according to... T- no, you see it in alphabetical order because the... See, the difference is Windows Explorer sorts it. So you see it in alphabetical order because the browser you're looking at the disk with is sorting it. But it's not stored on the disk that way. It's in the catalog, the disk's catalog, in whatever order you copied it. So when the first song and the second song and the third song, it doesn't care about the order. And apparently that's how the player is playing it back, which is pretty stupid. Yeah, because when I get in the truck, and, and so I finally I just sat down and I wrote down, you know, I, I marked everything in the order that the, that the radio was playing it, playing the flash drive. And... I figured, okay, that's fine. Then I realized if I add another CD to that flash drive, it's going to change the whole order. And that's what I'm concerned about. And how can I... Well, what I would suggest, Peter, is you get a better player that is intelligent enough to play it alphabetically. In other words, this player is just... It's being stupid. It's just saying, well, it's in this order. Uh, I like, uh, there's a lot of good players for Windows. I really like Media Monkey. That's a great player. If you're going to do it through Windows, let me get, when we come back, I'll give you three or four good choices, better choices. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Of course, you know, this means war. What have I done? I've killed a rabbit. Poor little bunny. Poor little rabbit. <laughs> you found it! Kyle, you're amazing. 
I think I think Kyle has uh, now won the award for most obscure. <laughs> Kill the Wabbit. Elma Fudd. Is that the Looney Tunes opera, right? Isn't that what that's from? <laughs> Happy Easter. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. So I've been chatting with the chat room. Our last caller, if I understand correctly, and I think I do, has a music collection on his computer. He copies the files onto USB thumb drives, which he then brings to his truck. And I gather that his truck has a USB port in the car stereo, the truck stereo. Not unusual these days. He plugs the files in and presses play. And they're in all kinds of random order. I believe they're in the order that they show up on the thumb drive. Um, I think the issue is, in all likelihood, uh, that because he's playing it that way, there's no playlist or whatever. You might look at getting an iPod or some other device that can organize it a little bit better. And if nothing else, check the manual for your head end for your car stereo and say and see what they say. This is something that used to happen a lot, frankly, in the uh, old MP3 players. More modern, better interfaced MP3 players, you know, handle it more intelligently. They realize that humans don't know or care what order the, the files appear on the drive. They want to hear, you know, albums or shuffle if they want shuffle or artists if they want artists or albums if they want albums. Uh, and that's why you buy an iPod, frankly. This portion of the Tech I Show brought to you by Carbonite.com. you got to back it up to get it back, so do it right with Carbonite. Off-site, automatic, encrypted. You're going to love it. Try it. It's very affordable, too. Try it free for 15 days right now at Carbonite.com. Use the offer code, Leo. Got to back it up to get it back, so do it right with Carbonite. I did say, I, 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 you know, I, and it is inappropriate, but I did say uh, I was going to mention a couple of Windows media players, so I will. I love Media Monkey. It's one of my favorites on Windows. Much better, much, much better than Windows Media Player, especially on XP. Um, I also like Winamp, believe it or not. It's pretty good. Uh, it's, a good it's a good player. Um, we should, we'll, we'll get a few other uh, recommendations. Um, Songbird, uh, which is a Linux uh, application. Um, is has been ported. It's open source. It's been ported to Windows and Mac. Um, chat room. Any other recommendations? We got a great chat room. Double Twist. Actually, I use Double Twist a lot now. If you have an Android phone, Double Twist is great because it will do all the things iTunes does for the iPhone for your Android phone. So that's a nice. That's so that's nice. I got that going for me. Uh, but it's also a pretty good uh, Windows player and has some other nice features. Um, Songbird is not on Linux anymore. It's just Mac and Windows. Well, there you go. 8888 ask Leo. What tell you what? We'll put links to these in the in the uh, uh, both from the chat room and uh, from listeners onto our website techguylabs.com. James DeRuvo is there. I'm not sure if he's uh, gonna if he's doing it. James, are you doing it today or are you gonna do? I know he had to take. I think he was went to an Easter dinner today, Easter brunch. So he'll be uh, he'll be writing him in uh, tonight. If you check back tonight or tomorrow, all the details will be there. Tech Guy Labs. Dot com. you also find a link there to the chat room. Always fun to go into our chat room. I invite you to join us. The uh, chat room has about 800, 700 people in there right now, but it'll sure go up soon. And I love it. One of our uh, chat moderators used to call himself, Can We Bowl, Please? And that was too, too long to type, so he changed it to CWBP. And now he's changed CWBP to, Can We Buy Peeps? Darth Emma has changed her name to Darth Chocolate. 
and Houdini has changed his name to Eggdini. Uh, Hippity Hop. Who's Hippity Hop? <laughs> uh, instead of War Poli, we got War Bunny. So we, we've got an Easter, Easter theme going on right now. And Dr. Mom is Dr. Matzah. <laughs> uh, join us in the chat room. It's always fun. It's kind of the, you know, uh, remember when school, there was always some wiseacres in the back of the class? That's them. Mouthing off, making comments, making faces, cracking the other class members up while I'm trying to talk up here in front. Neil, Phoenix, Arizona, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Happy Easter, Neil. Thank you for taking my call, first of all. My pleasure. Yeah, I love your shows. I've been following ever since, well, for quite a while, but especially since I started the iPad show. In fact, that's what got me to um, buy the iPad uh, 1 back in the day last year. Thank you. Um, But I have another issue today. I currently have my iPhone 3GS that I bought about a year ago, I was—I did not know if or when Verizon, who had been my carrier for many years, would ever get an iPhone. And of course, they ultimately did. Um, but now I'm here in Phoenix. I've learned that Verizon, whom I did like as a carrier, um, actually now has 4G service, LTE service available oh, in exciting. my in my neighborhood. The, the dilemma is, I still have my 3GS, and if I wanted a Verizon. Uh, 4G LTE phone, I'm going to have to get either an Android phone or wait for, and that, of course, we don't know if uh, Apple will even put out an iPhone 5 with the LTE service. And I know that you mentioned you like the Android phones, but I have an Apple environment, if you will. I have right. mobile me and a Mac and, and the iPad right. and so forth. I'm wondering what your thoughts on, is it worth going to the Android phone to get the LTE service, because I've um, given the device. Well, let me, I'll tell you the facts, as far as uh, as I see them, is I don't think Apple's going to release an, an LTE-compatible phone, a 4G phone, this year at all. Uh, they will release an iPhone 4 this year, uh, 5 this year, I'm pretty sure, and it will, of course, be available on uh, Verizon. The latest rumors we've seen is that it is bezeled, it's really thin, and a slightly smaller screen, which I think is kind of, if that's the case, it's kind of a disappointment. It will probably have a better camera. I would ex- I would expect that. It will almost certainly, in fact, I would say definitely have the new A5 chip that they put in the iPad. So it'll be a faster phone. It'll be a desirable phone, but uh, the 4G right now chipset that's required for 4G is is a little clunky, a little big, and certainly if they do do this, thinner phone will not fit. So I think it's highly unlikely. Highly unlikely that Apple will do an LTE phone this year. So with that said, is it then worth making the jump, if you will, to get that speed to go to, say, an Android? I was at a Droid charge coming out. Well, you have to you have to make the decision. I think so, but I already made the jump because I like Android better than iPhone anyway. Right. So I may be the wrong guy to ask. Okay, let me ask you this. Let's assume I make that jump. Is there a good way to bring all the mobile me functionality to the Android? Yeah. Yeah, without mobile me. <laughs> okay. I'll save you 100 bucks a year. Although, I, again, I expect Apple to, to start giving away mobile me when iPhone 5 comes out. But here's the deal. The Google phones, all the Android phones, are, are based on the Google uh, uh, applications. Google Calendar, Google Contacts, Google Voice. Um, syncing files you can do with Dropbox or other programs. Um, it's a much less closed system, so 
it actually is easier to do those things on an Android phone than it is on the iPhone. On the iPhone, you have to do it Apple's way. So, for instance, you're, I'm a Mac user too, and I am still an Android user. I, uh, you know, iPhone's nice, but iPhone is very rigid. You have to use iTunes, for instance. You have to use Apple's keyboard. You can't use an alternative keyboard. Um, applications have to be stacked in rigid rows and columns, period. Four, o'clock, four across, four or five down, and that's the only way it can be. All of these things are fine for users who don't want complexity. It's Apple's way or the highway. Well, that's simple. But if you want choice, if you want a choice of hardware, if you want a choice of carriers, if you want a choice of what's on your desktop, a choice of even applications uh, and application sources, for instance, you can get your apps from Amazon as well as from the Android marketplace. All of these things point to Android. Now, uh, some people, some Apple people who are real Apple fanatics say that the Android fit and finish is somehow lacking. That This is such a subjective judgment. That isn't as beautiful. So go play with it. I'll tell you my favorite Android phones right after the break. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. People don't remember that, the very first rap song by a bunny. Ah. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. It's going to be like this all through the show, I just should warn you. <laughs> Thank you, Kyle. <laughs> 8888 Ask Leo. So we were talking about, um, I think a fundamental choice that people uh, are making these days on phones, uh, iPhone versus Android phone. Neil's in Phoenix, and Neil would like to use Verizon's high-speed network, the 4G network. And and I don't blame you. It's so much faster, Neil. You should look at uh, one thing that 4G does do is drain battery faster, so that's a consequence. You might see different pricing. I don't know how Verizon prices that. I think it's the same. Uh, but they are using this as an opportunity to introduce caps, and they're using this as an opportunity to change their pricing. So you you might consider, you know, a lot of times if you have an existing data plan, it's better to stay with that because as soon as you change phones and change data plans, uh, these phone companies will use it as an opportunity to, what's the word, mess with you. Right. We'll have to change carriers anyway to get over to to get back to Verizon. I said. Oh, you're on AT and T. So yeah, I mean, if you want Verizon and you want 4G, you can't go with the iPhone. Verizon has, uh, in my opinion, the best Android phone on Verizon right now is the Thunderbolt, uh, and I like it because it's a 4.3 inch screen. Is that what you're using, Wayne? Yeah, I love it. Um, now. If you can wait till June, the Bionic comes out, and that is dual processor. That's a faster 4.3 screen. And I have to say, I have a dual-core uh, Tegra 2-based phone from T-Mobile uh, that I just got, the G2X, and I, I it's noticeable. The speed difference is noticeable. Sorry, Wayne. But the, the Thunderbolt's a great, the Thunderbolt's a great phone. Um, the capabilities can be daunting to some. You know, I, I, uh, our uh, mothership uh, is KFI Radio in Los Angeles, and their morning guy there 
huge superstar morning guy, Bill Handel. He's just great. Uh, on my recommendation, bought a Droid X, and he's never forgiven me because he can't figure it out. He should have bought an iPhone. Some people should buy an iPhone. Any thought on the Droid Charge, the new one coming out next week or so, the rumor goes? <laughs> uh, the Droid what? Charge from Samsung. Oh, I haven't uh, seen rumors. I am not. It's This is the thing that other people uh, hate about the uh, Android platform is there's a new phone every week. And I'm having trouble keeping up. The Droid Charge. Let me look. Ryzen 2nd 4G LTE phone coming April 28th. Wow. Samsung does some really nice phones. They have uh, the uh, Samsung has a Super AMOLED screen, which is a very uh, high quality screen. It is 4.3 inches. It's only a single processor. Uh, 8 megapixel camera. I have to say the iPhone camera, even though it's 5 megapixels, is probably the best camera on a phone I've ever seen. And the variety of applications on the iPhone for cameras do outpace the uh, Droid platform. So if the... I shouldn't say Droid because Droid is the the Verizon trademark. It's Android. Uh, If you are really into... camera phone photography the iphone probably still is the best choice um the iphone still doesn't have a front-facing camera or does it yes it does I can't. let me look does it yes it does no it doesn't i can't tell yes it does <laughs> that's right for facetime um so it's a parody there that doesn't have um the same mobile hotspot uh, capability or has has as have they finally added that it's hard for me to keep up. Um, I'm just looking. Unfortunately, the other issue, ooh, 299 on this uh, new charge. Yeah, this looks nice. This looks like this might be a a good um, a good alternative. What you should look at is the Samsung customization versus the Motorola customization. Because here's the other side of Android that I don't like. Each carrier has their own little tweaks they apply to the phone, and I personally am not fond of them. One of the reasons I bought this T-Mobile G2X is because it's a native Google experience. There is no user interface laid on top of it. I'm not a fan of the Motorola Blur. Uh, I haven't really played much with Samsung's uh, modifications. Um, They don't look good from a distance. And uh, and, and, uh, of the three, I like HTC's the best. I like the uh, HTC... um, uh, sugar that they lay on top of it. Um, so in that case, the Thunderbolt would be my probably my choice, uh, just because of aesthetics. But this is the this is the beauty of it. It's a it you can make these choices. You have a variety of choices. That's that's bewildering for consumers. I understand. That's why Apple makes one and only one interface. But uh, if you're up for the choice, I think it's it's good. You just have to spend some time. You have to go to the Verizon store and spend some time. Well, thank you so much for taking my call. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome, Neil. I, 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 do, I think that, unfortunately, among iPhone users, the iPhone, I mean, look, when the iPhone came along in 2007, I waited in line for six hours. Uh, I was a BlackBerry user. I had a curve. I was so happy to give it up. The iPhone was a major, massive improvement. But that's four years ago. And uh, along comes Google. The first Google phone I bought it, the G1, terrible, horrible. Uh, in fact, I've bought many Google phones, you know, since then. But it's gotten better and better and better. The iPhone has improved, but not at the same pace. 
And uh, it's pretty clear now. There are far more Android phones being sold than Apple phones. In fact, uh, Google announced in its earnings call this week that 350,000 Android phones are activated every single day. That's that's not just sell-through. That's activations. Of course, I'm about 10,000 of those. I keep buying new phones. But 350,000 a day, uh, that's pretty impressive. That's like 2 million a week. New phones, new users. It's growing much faster than the Apple phone. That's good news in one respect. It means that developers will make sure that if they're going to run an application, it comes out for Android. In fact, not too far off. The day's not too far off when they come out for Android first. That's when, when that starts happening, that's when you can say Apple is in second place. 8888-ASK-LEO, you want to fight? And is them fighting words? All right, you iPhone folks, you call me, you tell me. Meanwhile, uh, I'm going to get back to the phones in just a second. We'll talk to Gillen Van Nuys. He's got to recover his netbook. Something bad happened. See, if he'd had carbonite, he wouldn't be so worried right now. Carbonite is back up, done right. You've heard me talk about it. Off-site, online. Those are the two words you want. Oh, third word, automatic. So here's what happens. Go to Carbonite.com right now, Mac or PC, and use my name, Leo. You can get 15 days free. You don't need a credit card or anything. Now, what will happen is you'll install the Carbonite software on your, de- on your computer, laptop or desktop, and it will start backing up. Uses the Internet. So it's not instant. I think some people think, well, it, it's not. It's, it's, it's con- well, yes, because it's not going to use up all your Internet access. It's going to. Trickle that up. The first backup takes a little while. That's why they give you the first two weeks free. See how that's working for you. Then once it's got that first initial backup done, you're always backed up. It's constantly backing up. And that's the beauty of it. No matter when disaster strikes, and it will, you'll have your data. And here's another nice part. Your data is always available to you even before disaster happens. You just log on to your Carbonite account on any computer, on your iPhone, on your Android phone, even on your BlackBerry. There's your data. It's all there. So you can access it anywhere, anytime. And the best part, less than $5 a month for everything, all your personal data on your internal drive, no matter how much there's there. Carbonite is amazing. I want you to try it free for 15 days. Carbonite.com, offer code LEO. When you decide to buy, continue to use that LEO offer code because uh, that will give you an additional two months on the 12-month subscription. 14 months for the price of 12 you got to back it up to get it back, so do it right with Carbonite. Gil in Van Nuys, California. Hey, Gil, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Yeah, hi, Leo. So, Gil, you got a netbook. Yes. Uh, actually, um, you know, uh, I spoke to you before, and you recommended the uh, uh, D-band to uh, uh, wipe the drive. Oh, we talked yesterday, yeah. Yes. yes, but unfortunately, my issue is that I don't have any recovery disks for the unit. Oh. And uh, uh, it doesn't have any uh, DVD or CD drive. Uh, oh, it's all on the it's all on the partition, the uh, the hidden partition. You know, how, how do I uh, get that off before I uh, uh, wipe the drive? Uh, only use D-Ban on the unhidden partition. Okay. You, you do, in fact, because whoever's going to get this netbook, Gil's, Gil's selling or giving away his netbook, wants to wipe his data. Whoever gets it obviously needs to have that recovery partition. Now, exactly. they can also put another operating system on it. They can put Linux on it with a USB key. You can install Windows from a USB key even. So they can still install it. But I would suggest either backing up that hidden partition before you do this. In fact, it wouldn't be a bad idea anyway. 
Okay. Uh, or, but but when you use D-band, you don't have to, you don't have to erase all the partitions. Uh, you have an Acer, right? An Aspire one. Yes. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to tell you how to do this step by step. TechGuyLabs.com. Leo Laporte, the Tech Guy. Well, a good day to you, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. And it's time to talk about technology. Yeah, I'm live today, Easter Sunday. So uh, get that Cadbury egg. Get your peeps. Gather around the radio kids. We're going to talk about computers and the Internet and cell phones and camcorders. Nice, uh, a nice little conversation going on in the chat room over Android versus iPhone. Everybody has their own uh, opinion on that, and that's fine. That's why I promote choice. That's why it's great to have competition. That's why you don't want a monopoly of any kind in uh, in technology, because uh, the more players, the better the variety, the better the choice, more innovation, and lower cost or prices. All of that's good. Uh, and and frankly, when Apple was the only game in town, I think that there was a little, you know, it was a little bit of a challenge. Now that there are other choices, I think it's great. And one of your choices, absolutely, can be the iPhone. That's fine, right, Kara? Right. Eighty-eight, eighty-eight, eighty-eight. Uh, ask Leo. That's the phone number. A lot of attention paid this week to the fact that the iPhone is uh, recording and saving your location data to a file on the iPhone, a file which is then copied to your computer when you back up, and in fact is preserved if you restore your backup on your next phone, your phone after that. So for many of us who've had iPhones for some years, we can actually access that file. There's a program online that gets the data from that file and, sh- and make a map of everywhere we've been for the last four years. Does that surprise you? Do, I mean, to be honest, does that surprise you? Of course the iPhone is keeping track of where you are. So does uh, every phone. Um, these devices are, in fact, amazing spy devices. I'm not even so worried about location information. Let's not forget the iPhone and every other phone has a microphone and a camera. And we've learned recently that applications can turn those on without warning you or asking your permission. There are three applications, to my knowledge, on the iPhone that turn on the microphone. Color is one of them. There's a uh, a television program, a television uh, check-in program that's like Shazam. You hold it up to the TV, and it decides what TV show you're watching, and it says it. I guess that one you know it's turning on the mic because you're holding it up, right? So that's not so bad. Uh, but it's, it, it bugs me when I learned that it that is completely possible for an application on the iPhone to turn on the microphone and listen without warning you in any way. Shouldn't that scare you a little more than the fact that it's, you know it's keeping track of where you go. On, the, uh, on Android phones, when you first install it, uh, pay attention. It says, 
Google would like to keep track of what you're doing, <laughs> of where you go, and we would like to log that and send it back from time to time uh, to uh, the servers, anonymized. And there's a checkbox, and you get to say yes or no. Of course, you do that once the, the first time you use the phone, and you probably forget that it's doing it, but it is doing it. In fact, uh, you can go, if you use Google Latitude, you can, you can see everywhere you've been. I like it. That's, to me, that's a feature. Uh, so I have to say all the hand-wringing about, oh, Apple's keeping track of where you are. Well, you got a phone, you got a GPS. Um, it's good that people be aware of this. I think it's important that Apple says this more clearly. It is in the terms of service, by the way. The 35-page terms of service. You did read that, didn't you? Well, if you didn't read that, I have no sympathy for you. I'm being facetious, but that's Apple's response. Well, wait a minute. They can opt out. Just turn off the uh, location services. That's Apple's response. They, uh, Congressman Markey asked them this a year ago. That was Apple's response. No, no, they said, we said, we told them, it was in the terms of service, that we would be tracking your whereabouts and that if you decided you didn't want that, just turn off the GPS. We told you. Truth is, uh, I'm not, it's not even Apple. I'm, your phone company knows where you are, right? Every single, I've talked about this before. Every single phone, every single wireless carrier in the U.S. has a portal for law enforcement where they can go and pay a small fee and get your location anytime. Your location now, your location last month, last week, last year, anytime. This, this infor- you should know this. If you carry one of these around, it's a spy device and it knows where you are. And if you're, gonna, if you're a criminal listening, and I know we do have many criminals who listen to this show, don't take your cell phone the next time you're out on a job because they don't have to ask you in court. Where were you on the evening of March 13th, 27? They can say, I have here a complete record of everywhere you've been for the last four years, and I can see you were at the scene of the crime. Don't take your phone with you if you don't want to spy on you. That's all. And, uh, and that's why if you ever watch, you ever watch The Wire? What a, that's a great show on HBO. The drug dealers on The Wire, what do they do? They need cell phones. They buy phones at the drugstore. They call them burners. They have no information at all about who owns it. And they throw them away every four days. Crooks know this. One of the guys, somebody in the chat room, Web 4353, say, Leo, don't give criminals such good advice. They know this. It's you and I that don't know it. They know this is a spy device. Jason Bourne, in every movie, he takes the phone from the ingenue. She gets in the car. Jason, you're so handsome, and I'm running away. And she says, well, the first thing we do is we smash the cell phone. <laughs> of course they know this. I'm, su- I'm really surprised. And I, you know, I think it's interesting that uh, this gets so much press. It's just, I guess people don't know it, but if you listen to this show, you know it now. And uh, frankly, to be honest with you, I don't mind. I love having all that information available. Who cares? I'm not, you know... If, if uh, AT&T wants to know where I am, fine. If Apple wants to know where I am, fine. Hey, I uh, wanted to mention the passing of one of the greats in our business. Um, you know the name Harmon? The Harmon Stereos, Harmon Carden, Sidney Harmon. He uh, invented the first integrated hi-fi system in the 50s. He is... The kind of entrepreneur that, you know, makes, makes this industry so interesting. He 
got a physics degree at City College in New York, served in the Army during World War II, where he developed a, quote, sonic deception broadcasting machine that was used to confuse the Germans at the Battle of the Bulge. I don't know. I don't know how it worked, but he came back after the war, developed a high-fidelity sound system, borrowed $10,000 in venture capital, and uh, created Harmon Carden. But he didn't stop there. Harmon's business, Harmon International Industries, did speakers, amplifiers, home theater systems, voice-activated telephones, GPS systems, climate controls. He passed away uh, last week at the age of 92 years old. One of the last things he did, August 2010, he bought Newsweek magazine. <laughs> this guy never stopped. He, uh, he bought it for a dollar from the Washington Post Company and $47 million in debt and uh, tried to save the magazine. An amazing fellow. So uh, he was Deputy Commerce Secretary in 1977 and uh, an inventor and a genius and you know from an earlier era of technology inventors. Sidney Harmon. 8888-ASK-LEO, that's the phone number if you have a question, if you want to talk about tech, if you uh, want some buying advice, some hand-holding on the information superhighway. That is what I do, and I'm here for you on this Easter Sunday. 888-827-5536, or go to the website. That's probably the easiest way. The phone number's there, all the information's there at techguylabs.com. Uh, I don't know. I should check if James is writing everything down. I think he's going to do it later in the day, take an Easter Sunday off. But it will all be there by later today or tomorrow at techguylabs.com. One thing that's there right now is a link to our chat room. Always a lot of fun in there, even on an Easter Sunday. Go Sunday. Go in there and bother the bunnies. 800 folks in there right now. 8888-ASK-LEO, uh, techguylabs.com. We return to your calls right after this. Leo Laporte. The Tech Guy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. It's going to be bunny music all day. I just got to warn you. 8888-ASK-LEO. If you've got a question, a comment, a suggestion, you want to talk high tech, that's what I'm here for. Let's get right back to the phones with Mike in Culver City, California. Hey, Mike, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Leo. Hey, how are you? Really great to talk to you. I've, I've been doing stretches on the floor, so I'm out of breath waiting for you to get to me. <laughs> hey, that's a good way to use your time on hold. Thing is, when stretch. You jump up, it sounds like you're some kind of nutball. Anyway. <laughs> no, I, I stretched this morning. One must stretch. It's the one thing athletes never remember to do, and it's so important. Oh, yeah, and I, I use one of those balls like you have, too, to keep the old back rolling. I'm a geezer. Anyway, um, I am here to testify on behalf of CreateSpace and the whole business of self-publishing, because you talked about it a couple weeks ago. I've been trying to get in ever since, and and I, I tried both Lulu and CreateSpace. So. Now, I'm familiar with Lulu. Uh, Lulu is 
a website uh, that you upload your book in uh, in a digital format to, yeah. uh, and they will sell that book, but they will only print it on demand. So you don't you don't actually spend any money up front for Vanity Publishing. Uh, you 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 sell the book for a minimum of what Lulu costs to print it, and then anything above that you're going to make as profit. Um, they also do eBooks. They do beautiful calendars. They have, it's a very interesting idea compared to a traditional vanity press where you buy a thousand books at great expense. And you have them in your closet, and then somebody can come buy the book. Lulu will sell on Amazon and so forth. So this is a good uh, a good solution for somebody who is an author who thinks they have something of value. Uh, but doesn't have a lot of cash. Now, CreateSpace, I'm not familiar with. So tell me about that. I went through Lulu first, as a matter of fact, because I'd heard you talk about it and I'd heard others. And then I had a colleague of mine um, who suggested that I try, that she loved CreateSpace for the book she just put out. So I went to CreateSpace, and oh my Lord, it was so much, just so much easier. Um, their customer support is full tilt friendly. And the amazing thing for somebody like, me, who I'm a consultant, but I so I try to. It's it's as you know the book is a way of meeting new people, and then ultimately what I sell, yeah. my services. But that's something I learned very early on. I've written 13 books, none of them made me much money, but it's it's about credibility. Well, Stephen King, I'm not. I'm sure he makes a wonderful living. But he makes a living. Danielle Steele makes a living, but the rest of us, no. The interesting thing, I just about the whole experience, the first six, I, this is my sixth book. I published five books before that through traditional publishing houses. And the whole process of self-publishing, I can't recommend strongly enough. The, the wall that used to be, and it's the flattening you're always talking about, the wall that used to be between the, the, the person who wishes to write, create, and get the word out. And there's so many hurdles in the traditional publishing industry, the copy editing and, and, all, and, and, and the uh, review of content and, and will this market properly and so forth. Um, my latest, not that I didn't love my publishers, but my latest book, I had three or four things I wanted to put in there that were oddball stuff that I want to put in, doggone it. So I didn't, I didn't even mess with a traditional publisher. So I put this thing together as a PDF, uh, put it together in Word, and then started to look for places to publish it. And, and I wound up, um, I tried Lulu, but the amazing thing was, see, I can offer discounts to certain to certain people through, uh, but that discount you can offer is based on the price of the book. So Create Space, my book costs almost one third of what it cost on Lulu. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I can drop. That's interesting. Amazing. That's what this this colleague of mine told me. So the the, the amazing thing is, I can set the price high, give somebody fifty percent off, and still make money on the book if I want to. The other amazing thing that I really enjoyed was that having e-content and having it under my control. So I guess the process, you know, I started first with the Word file, then saved it, um, saved the Word file as a web page filtered. Oh, interesting. Loaded that to Kindle, because that's what Kindle wanted. Right. Now I got the book in Kindle, and Kindle says, hey, you want to check out a copy of this? So Kindle lets me download the Moby, uh, and I can take that Moby and put it in that the, the, the freeware caliber software which converts it to epub and the epub right. put into nook yeah so you basically and i do encourage you to do this i mean uh the dead tree editions of books of course the printed editions are valuable but nowadays uh, you really want to make some money do an ebook uh because it, it costs of course a lot less to create the book you could sell it for less and you get more 
Yeah, and I've had the the wonderful thing is that the people can have it on the different e-readers, and they can do whatever they want to do. But uh, this is kind of interesting because unlike uh, Lulu, Create Space is also for musicians and filmmakers. Really? So I see, for instance, they've made a, a deal with Sony to distribute to make DVDs of Sony movies that it weren't really worth printing, you know, and selling, uh, but they can make an on-demand DVD. So Sony Pictures Home Entertainment is bringing classic films uh, to the limited audience by printing on demand. What a great idea. It's amazing. They do. They say you can, you know, I could publish my, my MP3 podcasts, I could publish CDs, and they, they do, they have a packaging chain that you go through. It's very step-by-step, and they take you through all these procedures. And so I get the first book out there. and then Oh, this is interesting. Create Space is owned by Amazon. Yeah. And there you go. No wonder it's so good. Muscle. Oh my Man, Amazon's amazing. I tell you, the more I learn about them, the more businesses they're in. But of course, it makes sense. If you're Amazon, you should do something like this to promote publishing. And of course, everything you do on CreateSpace is on Amazon.com. Listen to this. This is, a, this, is, this is why one of the deal breakers for me. The CreateSpace, I had a college contact me. My book is on project management. So I had a, I call, a college contact me said, look, uh, we would like to use this, but we wanted to go through our college bookstore, but we're going to have students showing up who have vouchers, who are on public assistance. With right. vouchers. Can you take vouchers? Okay. Uh, I don't think I could take that. <laughs> so, but what I could do was go over to the CreateSpace sales channel um, and open up through a one-time fee. I opened up the channel that would allow it to go through the Baker and Taylor, which in turn service. And they do that. The college book. Yeah. And then to top it all off, having put together this thing sitting on my computer, this is so thrilling for me because as I've always been led around by publishers in the 15 years or so I've had other people publish my books. And this is so much power, you know. <laughs> so I'm sitting here with a PDF, beautiful graphic of my book cover. And I got the guts is in the PDF form as well. And this university, I'm talking to them and I say, and, and we learned that they might want to have a customized, customized version. So I added a couple of pages on the inside. Put, Easy to do. Put their logo on the outside, republish. <laughs> it has its CreateSpace assigned a unique ISBN to that book. So now it's available in the wow. Franklin University uh, version. With their logo. Yeah. Mike, you've sold me. I, this is, I'm very impressed. I'm going to take a closer look at this, but I think uh, I have been recommending Lulu for photo books. I've been recommending Blurb. This looks like a very good alternative. Create, Create. Space. It's, it's from Amazon, and uh, you've sold me. It's createspace.com. And, and and absolutely, you're right, Mike. This is the future of publishing. I do want to mention one tip for all of you, and I want to encourage everybody to, to seize the power, man. I mean, you if you've got yes. wisdom and an idea, just put it together and go for do it. Do it. It's if, no cost to you, so why not? Well, if if you decide to go through the ebook format, know this. One of the things I pride myself in in my project management book. Hold on, hold on, Mike. We got to take a break. Time keeps on ticking, ticking into the future. Leo Laporte, the tech guy, will be right back.
Leo Laporte, the Tech Guy. This portion of the Tech Guy show is brought to you by my internet service provider, DSL Extreme, for high-speed internet at an amazing price. Call 866, the number 2, GetNet, to get DSL Extreme. So we were talking to Mike in Culver City, California. Mike uh, was describing the process of self-publishing. Uh, we've talked about various ways to do it. You know, in the old days, if you had a book you'd written that you uh, couldn't get a publisher, and this this was really the problem in the old days, was you couldn't get a publisher to pick it up, uh, you'd go to a vanity press. Uh, one of them was called v- the Vantage Press. And you'd give them the book. They'd say, oh, you really are good. You should be better known. I suggest you print 1,000 copies of this book. That'll be $25,000, please. You'd give them the money, they'd give you the books. And then you'd keep them in your closet. And when anybody said, I want your book, you'd say, well, yes, I have this book right here. By the, Van- the Vantage Press is my publisher. That was called Vanity Publishing. Well, times have changed because, frankly, uh, there are many authors... And I include in this, by the way, people with some very big names who uh, who do this exact thing. My friend Jerry Pornell, who I know listens to this show, he's a science, great science fiction author. Uh, his daughter wrote a sequel to one of his novels about the outies, published it as an ebook. She didn't even do a print copy on Amazon. And because you get 70% of the cover price at Amazon.com, she was able to charge us a few dollars for it, make more money than she would have made had she gone through a publisher and sell plenty of copies. You know, maybe you don't sell 100,000 copies. You only send ten, sell 10,000. But if you're making two, two bucks a copy, 10,000 copies ain't bad. Can I tell you the dirty little secret of, of book authoring? That's more than most people make in their books ever. Unless you have a bestseller. So this is a great solution. Now, and Mike's been telling us about uh, createspace.com, a place to do it. First, before you tell us the EPUB uh, hint, Mike, I really des- you deserve a, a plug here. What's the name of your book? Oh, thank you. The name of my book is The Project Minimalist, Just Enough PM to Rock Your Projects. I need this book. <laughs> I'd be glad to send you one. No, I'll buy it. Project Management Minimalist. Project Management Minimalist, and you can find it uh, at Michael Greer, M-I-C-A-E-L-G-R-E-E-R dot biz. So I could I could search on CreateSpace as well, though, right? Well, yeah, I think you could, but the the thing is, uh, they give you an e-store for for uh, the basic e-store, but it's also on. Uh, it certainly will come up on Amazon and Kindle as well. Um, so depending on the channel you want to go through, but I. Um, I wanted uh, my reasoning. Uh, here's the thing: the reason I'm publishing it myself because there's uh, an army of people in project management who have very um, who are making money and have a vested interest in making project management extremely complex. And I'm moving in the opposite direction. And I uh, I just decided, you know, I'm going to put a stake in the ground and strip this down to the absolute essences and get out of people's faces because people who are doing good solid work in a field, they don't want a management uh, process to get in their way so much. So that's that's why I found, I just said, you know what, I'm not even going to bother trying to get a standard publisher. To well, and, and, and nowadays, I don't think there's a stigma uh, anymore. You know, in the old days, well, yeah, you publish, you self-publish. But nowadays, there's no stigma at all attached to it. In fact, uh, I see a time uh, for musicians, for filmmakers, for authors where that's the predominant way they, they promote their music. Why, why get the middleman? What does a publisher bring you except marketing? And, and tr- truthfully, if you're not Danielle Steele, you're not going to get marketed. 
So you might as well just do it yourself and keep more of the money, frankly. The last few years, I've found that my blogs on my web, my website and stuff is driving traffic to my publisher. You're a better marketer than the, the publisher is nowadays. The deal. Yeah, but anyway, I do want to give, a, I want to give you a, a, a hot tip for anybody who is like me that loves to use charts and tables and checklists and things like that in your book to help users do things quickly and easily. I went into this, to, to the Kindle Nook arena, and boy, did I waste time. I just fought the process and because until... A- well, the issue is, and I'll just kind of in a nutshell, you know, text is one thing. That's pretty easy. All the ebook formats will take text. Right. But as soon as you start using graphics, it gets a little bit more complicated to get the graphics to size properly, to look good on the page uh, is, is tricky. Those- and if you've got color, forget it. I finally had to convert all of my charts and tables to, to GIF files, to GIF files. Interesting. And and it, I, once I let go of that, see, because what those e- the uh, e-books are doing is they, the users are out there playing, make the fonts bigger, make the fonts smaller in the book, and that just plays. Right, and what happens to the graphic, exactly? Makes your graphics crazy. Anyway, I just wanted to, I want to thank you for allowing me to uh, to plug my book, The Project Management Minimalist. He did once more time, look, I snuck that in. <laughs> Really appreciate that, and I really appreciate uh, appreciate your show over the years. Uh, uh, one of my reasons for having XM Radio is because I could get you wherever I am. So, <laughs> well, I'm so glad, Mike, that you're listening. Congratulations on your success, and I think I'm going to buy the book because uh, I'm managing a pretty big project right now. We're building a new studio, and uh, well, fortunately, I have a professional project manager doing it. But uh, I have a hard time managing all of these little details. It's a, it's it's a lot of work. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. And it's, it's Michael Greer, G-R-E-E-R dot biz. We'll put a link in the show notes for you because I don't mind plugging you. You gave us a, a pretty big tip, createspace.com, uh, and it's owned by Amazon. I think in some ways that gives you some, I like it. It's some reassurance. Oh, well, it's, you know, Amazon knows what they're doing. But furthermore, they're not just books. They're also music and DVDs. I think it's happened first in the music space. I think musicians nowadays, it used to be, I was reading Keith Richards' biography, and it was all about getting signed. Got to get signed. We've got to get a label. We, we can't make a record without a label. And that was true in the 60s because it was $100,000 or more to record a record. It was maybe more uh, because it was so expensive to get a studio. Now you could do it. My son's doing it upstairs in his bedroom every night. Knock it off up there, Henry. I'm trying to sleep. Because, you know, with a computer and some software, GarageBand, he uses uh, Logic Express, great little program. He can do anything. He's got keyboards. He's got a guitar. Sounds like he's got a drummer up there, but I'm sure that's... (laughs) He's got drum machines. Uh, He uses a program called Reason. Uh, That's an amazing program. Let's you do drum machines. I mean, you've got a whole band up there. He's got a whole orchestra up there, and it's just him. So you don't need, I don't need a label to do that, to get the recording uh, studio. So, all right, good. Now, what else does a label do for you? Besides get your girls. They, uh, well, they uh, they print uh, a record or a CD, right? Well, who needs that? I mean, you could do that on Create Space if you want a hard copy. But music right now, I mean, digital distribution is it. So, you know, it's like an ebook. You don't have to make a hard copy. You just need to find somewhere to distribute. There's places like CD Baby. If you go to CD Baby and let them sell it, they'll put it on iTunes. Now you got it on iTunes, the world's largest record store. Your distribution isn't limited to the shop on the corner. 
It's everywhere. It's global. And you get more. You get a bigger cut out of it. So what else does a record uh, label do? Oh, marketing. Yeah, you don't have the uh, sleazy A&R guy going around to the rec- the radio stations. Hey, play this song, and I'll make sure that you're, uh, you're very happy. Because, uh, well, first of all, does Radio Airplay sell records anymore? I don't think so. I don't know if it does. There's lots of other ways to get exposed. I don't know if you really, and the record company, frankly, never marketed anybody but the song, but the, but the uh, uh, acts that they knew were going to be huge anyway. You know, if you weren't Led Zeppelin or Aerosmith or the Rolling Stones, well, good luck getting that uh, airplay. I think that's the one thing, though, that's still tough for writers, for musicians, for filmmakers is marketing. That's the one area where these companies had some ex- expertise. They had connections. They had people in the field. They could help promote you if they decided to. They could help promote you. And that's why it's important to have a website, a blog, a Facebook page. It's getting easier and easier. A Twitter account, all of that stuff, that makes it easier and easier and easier. So the upshot, go out and you know make your thing. Make your music. Make your book. Do it because the world's waiting. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. So uh, Kyle says, I want candy. Kyle, you're the kind of guy that bites the head off the chocolate bunny, aren't you? You just go right for the ears. Filled with, oh, you want the solid kind. No, it's really a disappointment, isn't it? I talked yesterday about uh, the Wall Street Journal article about the British fellow who started a Facebook campaign to get Cadbury to, you know, they have the Easter eggs filled with the cream, uh, the Cadbury eggs, but they're little. He wants them to make a giant one. He says, I'll never forget when I was a young man and I got a Cadbury egg that was big and I bit into it and it was hollow and I wanted it to be filled with cream. Rubel in Pasadena, California. You're next. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. There's disappointments everywhere. Hello? Hey, Rubel. Hey. Is it Rubel or Ruben? It's Rubel. Rubel. Nice to see you. What can I do for you? Thank you for so much for taking my call. I have a um, an LG Rumor Touch, and I love the I love the phone, except for the fact that um, I can't I can't get um, YouTube anymore on it. What happened? They um they switched up, and they, now they have a new Flash Player. Oh. And I I, I it won't it won't allow me to do it. It won't allow so me. This to- is a Sprint uh, phone. It's running. Um- is it Android? No, I don't know what. No, it's its, its own little Should operating I, system. I'm thinking about like. getting an Android. Yeah, I mean, uh, now here's one of the best arguments for getting one of the newer dual core Android phones. Flash on uh, a lot of the Android phones, you can get Flash. It comes with Flash 10.2, but doesn't run very well on a single processor. But if you have the dual processors, it runs smooth and beautifully. What, what what do you think about the um I, I'm with I'm with Virgin Mobile and they have an Android phone. What do you what do you think about that? It's like a like a five, something five. Let me look and see what they're offering. I'm sorry? I'm just gonna check and see what Virgin Mobile offers uh in terms of Androids, because I don't know what the uh the Android 
Uh, well, I have an awesome agreement. It's um sixty dollars a month and unlimited talk, text, and message. You know what I mean? It's that's a great deal. No, no contract. You know what I mean? It's amazing. So you're saying it's called the five? I don't. See. No, it's a V. It's a V. Oh, V. It's a V. The V is a five. You know. <laughs> I wonder if it's the N. Is it the N? V? Well, uh, I'll tell you that the issue with Virgin Mobile is they're a, you know, a low-price uh, phone carrier, and they, they're kind of aiming it at young folks like you, and I think that that's great. But that means that they don't have the fancier, newer ones. Oh, it's the Optimus V. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think LG, I have an LG um, uh, Android phone right now that's quite good. Let me look at the Optimus V and see... Uh, which version of Android? Because that's the bottom line. Oh, so it's Android two two. Yeah, it's good. It's a slow processor, though. I have to tell you, it will not run Flash well. It's a six hundred megahertz processor. That's a bad sign. Oh, oh um, um, I, I, I had a question. Is, is there anything I can do to um, can I, using a computer or something? Can I? Is there anything I can do to make my phone compatible now to get um, YouTube? Um, possibly I would go, yeah, see, this is the problem is I'm not sure what operating system this phone is running. The LG rumor, anybody know off the top of their head? Uh, it came out four years ago. That's, I think part of the problem is that it's a, it's kind of an older phone. Even if it were running Android, it wouldn't be a modern version, but I don't think it is. In fact, it doesn't even have, holy cow, it doesn't even have 3G. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, this is the problem and I feel bad. I hate to say this, uh, because why should you have to get a new phone? But this phone is pretty old and out of date. I don't think you're going to get YouTube running. In fact, I'm surprised it was running. Uh, it's not a, it's a feature phone. It's not a smartphone. Uh, they must have had a, a special YouTube application on it. I would check with Virgin Mobile to see why. You know, YouTube stopped working, but um, I don't think there's anything you can do to make it work. Um, it doesn't even have 3G, so it's it's a pretty old, pretty old phone. In fact, I'm amazed it was running. <laughs> it was running YouTube at all. Hey, I got to take a break, but I want to come back, and when we do, we will talk to uh, Mark in Tampa, Florida. He wants to. Uh, Stream video on a very old, slow computer. This is the problem. It's the same problem with the phone. Is The older the hardware, uh, if you only do stuff with the phone that it, the, that it was designed to do in the first place, it'll work fine. But the minute you want to do something more modern with an older hardware, that's when you get in trouble. Well, I'll see if we can help in just a second. But first, let's tell everybody about protecting themselves online, whether you're on a Mac or Windows. It's a scary world out there with viruses and Trojans, malware of all kinds, spyware, adware. And uh, my friends at ESET, ESET.com, make a great solution. They have a Windows antivirus I've talked about before called Nod32. They've just introduced ESET cybersecurity for the Mac. Same lightweight computer protection, very fast scanning, doesn't bog your system down. Advanced heuristics. Heuristics is, simply put, software that looks for bad behavior. And when it detects it, it stops it. It nips it in the bud. So the problem with any antivirus is 
uh, you have to have the updates, right? Uh, if you don't get the signature updates, you'll miss viruses. And on the Mac, since most viruses are custom-made spear phishing attacks, very often the signatures aren't of any value. That's where the heuristics is so important. Even if this is a virus that Nod32 has never heard of, it will catch it and stop it with the, the advanced heuristics. It's just amazing. Uh, they've added something to cybersecurity for the Mac. I hope this, they put this on the Windows side, too. It's a, an educational component that teaches people how to be safe online. So important. I want you to try this right now. If you want the Mac version, 30 days free, ESET.com slash Mac. For Nod32 for Windows, 30 days free, same deal, ESET.com slash Leo. Or call 866-935-ESET. And don't forget to uh, visit their Facebook page. E-S-E-T-U-S-A, facebook.com slash E-S-E-T-U-S-A, and like them. That way you'll be looped in on contests, special offers, and exclusive content. If you use Windows and now, if you use Mac, you need ESETs, not 32, or ESETs cybersecurity for the Mac. Mark on the line from Tampa, Florida. Hey, Mark. How you doing, Leo? I appreciate you taking the call. Glad to talk to you. So you have an old Windows XP computer with a gig of RAM, is that right? Uh, no, it's a one gigahertz. Um, P3 machine, but I believe... Oh, it's a P3 machine. Got it. And it's maxed out at 502 megabytes of RAM. Right. So you re- this is an old system. Yeah, old HP Pavilion. You know, my wife wanted a new machine, so I got her a new machine so she could do what she wanted. And, and what did you get? You got the old system. Absolutely. <laughs> You're a good husband. Well, I try. I don't know if she'd agree with you, but... <laughs> You're sacrificing. For your wife's computing experience. Absolutely. So uh, what I would do if I were you is forget Windows. Okay. Because Windows uh, is really just, it's going to be too slow. XP is going to be too slow on this machine. But you could put uh, uh, Linux on it. And I think you might be surprised at how fast it is running Linux. All right. I might have to give that a shot then. Um, what- Older machines do very well with uh, Linux. Now, the Linux I like the best is Ubuntu, U-B-U-N-T-U. This is free, by the way, so it's kind of worth a try just to see. You'll be surprised how uh, how well it runs. It comes with players that will play back the streaming video you want. And because it's more lightweight, it may well be that even that old, slow, low-memory machine can actually, uh, can actually uh, play back more than you think. There's an Ubuntu for older machines. It's uh, X-Ubuntu or Shubuntu. And if you go to xubuntu.org, you can download that. And what I would suggest, does it? Does that machine have a CD-ROM? I'm sure it does, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you get it, get it on your wife's machine, download it on your wife's machine, burn a CD with it. And here's the beauty. You can boot it on your older machine and see how it runs without installing it at all. Okay. So it's what's called a live CD. There are other advantages to Linux. It Not only is it faster on older hardware, but also it's more secure. You know, Windows XP, unless you go to Service Pack 3, is not is no longer getting updates. It's highly insecure. No, I, I am updated, and as of last week, I've been running Nod32, so I know I'm, I'm good and clean there. Oh, Every of a good update, so... It's just, you're right, Windows is just, uh, it just bogs the machine down. Yeah, I think a lighter weight operating system, uh, might you might find that you, you can you can use it uh, better than you would use it under, uh, under XP. 
Hey, Mark, it's good. you're a good husband. Happy Easter. Thanks for the call. Thank you all for being here. Another hour to come. For those of you staying with me, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Easter. It's the Easter version of the Tech Guy program. 8888 Ask Leo. That's my phone number if you have a question, a comment, a suggestion. If you want to talk about tech, that's what I do. Cold Feet in our chat room is asking, am I wearing bunny ears? No. Wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, I'm wearing a whole bunny costume. Yeah, with a fur and everything. Yeah, that's the ticket. 8888 Ask Leo, the chat room. And, uh, the live video and the show notes and all the links, all that's at the web at techguylabs.com. Techguylabs.com. That's our website. I know it looks like it was was designed in the 80s. You know what I've been playing? Speaking of that, you know what I've been playing a lot in the last few days? Boy, was this a hot game launch. Came out this week. Portal 2. Now, I I love video games. In fact, that's kind of how I got into computers in in the first place in the late 70s i got an atari 2600 actually it started in in the in the arcades playing battle zone and donkey kong and pac-man ms pac-man in fact i very vividly remember the first time i played a video game it was a little thing called pong remember that <laughs> only if you're an old person like me would you remember that nolan bushnell created it the guy who founded atari and it was about as simple a game as can be because the technology had to be simple and inexpensive. You had two paddle controllers, and uh, they moved a paddle up and down on the screen, and a ball would go back and forth. It was table tennis, ping pong. Only very primitive graphics, black and white graphics. Very simple sound. Boonk, 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 boonk. But I remember I was in college when the first Pong game came out, and I think I spent an entire day in a bar, because that was where you found them, and they had one of the table games playing Pong. So, and I, I've always thought that anybody who came to computers and technology from the game side always thought of them as fun, as toys, as amusements, and the people, and I feel bad for you, who, who first discovered computers at work as word processors and spreadsheets, never really had that same appreciation of technology. For them, it was always work. And I really thought that that was a dividing line between people. The people who thought of technology as, as play and the people who thought of technology as work. And I hope, I hope for your sake, if, if you first came to computers at work, you've come to an appreciation of them as a playful, fun thing. And maybe phones have done a lot of that because they are, after all, more and more fun these days. So... I have, but I have to say, as I get older, I, I don't have time to play games. The games I play are more casual games, card games, or the farming games, that kind of thing. I don't, I don't play the first-person shooters. That's what they call games like Call of Duty, uh, Halo, 
because of the kids today. They're so fast with the, with the gun and the trigger and the thing, and they go, and you can't, it's not even fair. I, I go out on the uh, playing field, and boom, it's over. So I don't, I don't play those games very much. But Portal 2, now that's a fun game. Portal 2 is a, is, is a cleverly disguised, very simple puzzle game. It's a puzzle. It's a logic puzzle. You have to solve individual levels to go to the next level. But they've written it in such a way that there's a huge amount of humor and playfulness and fun in it. And it's very compelling. So a lot of people discovered Portal 1. It was kind of an afterthought added to a a game compilation called The Orange Box um, that, that was put out by a company called Valve, which is really one of the premier game companies these days. And uh, it, it was a surprise hit of the orange box. And so now Portal 2 is one of the most hotly anticipated games is now out. And uh, I'm six hours in. <laughs> Apparently you get about eight hours of gameplay. It's really fun. I have to say, it's really fun. I cannot stop playing it. But it came to mind when we were talking about the uh, the 80s because one of, now I hope this isn't a spoiler. If you are very sensitive to the notion that uh, you don't want anybody to say anything about what happens in the game, plug your ears up for a moment. But as in the process of the game, uh, you go deeper and deeper within Aperture Science Labs, and you go back farther and farther to the origin of it, which it, it was 1947. And so you go back through eras and decades, and there's a 70s era, and there's an 80s era, and there's a 40s era. It's really fun. I love it when they do stuff like that. It's still just a basically at root a puzzle game, but it, but it is a very, it's a fun trip. Let's say, Danny in Pasadena, California. You're next, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. You could take your fingers out of your ears, everybody. Hi, Danny. Hi, uh, Leo. Um, yes, sir. I'm sure I remember you speaking of this in the past about removing an item on Google. It shows up. Yeah. So you you are getting the Google auto complaint is is. Uh, <laughs> Is bugging you? No, well, when you when you look up something and it shows up under your search. Ah, so here's the trick. In order for that to work, Danny, you've got to be logged into a Google account or it won't work. Google has done some interesting things, partly, I think, to increase your uh, interest in being logged into a Google account. Uh, this is how Google works, isn't it? They give you lots of free stuff, <laughs> encourage you with Gmail and Google Maps to give them information. And, uh, of course, if you, uh, if you uh, want to use those features, you've got to log in, don't you? And then once you've logged in, now they can collect even more about you. So Google has added and subtracted various features. If you log in, if you don't have a Google account, create one. You, don't, you, know, you can make it kind of an anonymous account. Look at the options uh, on the features because some features are enabled and some aren't. There did used to be a remove it feature. It wouldn't remove it from all search results, by the way, but just from your search results. And that's something that's fairly important. Don't be deluded and think that, oh, I've removed this from Google. You cannot remove things from Google. You can only remove it from your Google results. They do have some features that they're using right now. For instance, I have an experimental feature turned on on Google called Plus One. I think this is going to end up being a feature of Google in general. When you see search results results that you think are good, 
if you've got this turned on, I'm showing on the screen right now for those of you watching at home. I know it's a radio show. But right next, I did a search for my name. And, of course, what? who better to decide what should show up with my name? And I see my netcast. I'm going to plus one that. That means that's a good page. Right? Uh, here's live.twit.tv, or video page. Yeah, that's plus one. My blog, that's plus one. Here's the Tech Guy Labs. Let's plus one that. So I've, in effect, voted. I've told Google, yes, these are good search results. Google, I think, hopes in the long run to collect this kind of information to improve their results. See, Google's got a little bit of a problem. Their automated technologies, they work pretty well, but they can be tricked. They can be gamed. They can, spammers can improve their results. And and you don't want more spam results in your search. No, of course not. You want more good results. So Google works very hard to improve their results. And one way to really improve results is to do, to add human input. Humans are expensive. Google couldn't possibly hire enough people to go through the billions of pages in the Google Index, but maybe if they could get you and me to cast our vote. Yeah, let's see my Wikipedia article. Yeah, that's that's a plus one. My Twitter account that that's a plus one. I know why you're. I, I have a feeling I know why you're asking, Danny, because it's not the plus one you want. It's the minus one, and they don't have that feature anymore. The idea that you could go in there and remove search results. The truth is, uh, probably one of the reasons that they eliminated that is because it doesn't remove them globally. It only removes them from your view. From your view. If you go into the Google settings, there may still be some uh, some capabilities to do that. Um, you certainly should turn on safe search if you're getting adult uh, search results that you don't want to see. There's a safe search feature. So go into the create a Google account, go into the settings, play around with it. But I think that ability to take a result out, that I don't think that's there anymore. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Mario is that? Mario Brothers won for the NES. For the Super NES. The musical musical capabilities were so limited. Now what's this? Is this Tron? Are you playing the game? You stop playing that game. Kyle's playing Mario Brothers. Well, I'm trying to work. I'm trying to work here. 8888 ask Leon. <laughs> That's a phone number. This is the NES, not the Super NES. Wow. It's the original. Oh, that's Pong. Yeah, that was the sound. It wasn't really uh, <laughs> very elaborate. I remember... <laughs> <laughs> it's tough to get Pong because there was no music. I remember uh, uh, Atari released uh, Pitfall in a nice kind of 3D, good-looking version of Pitfall. I can't remember if it was the Xbox. I think it was the Xbox. And they embedded within Pitfall a 
a secret level that was the entire Atari 2600 Pitfall game. And I, I unlocked it for my son. It was what we call an Easter egg, of all things. I unlocked it for my son. He said, what is that? That's so ugly. I said, yeah, that's what, it, that's what they used to look like, kid. That's how they used to eight bit. That's how eight bit used to look. Do they still do Easter eggs in games, or is they still do? We call them Easter eggs. They were. Um, it it all started on the Atari Twenty Six Hundred because Atari at the time decided that they didn't want the game developers to become celebrities because you know what happens when they become celebrities and they demand more money. So they made the developers. Uh, they didn't give the developers credit by name. They they actually actively prevented the developers from getting credits on the game. And the developers got so angry, they started to embed, secretly embed their names and other things into the games. It started with an Atari cartridge called Adventure. There was a, a hidden pixel. And if you found it, you could go into Adventure and find out who wrote it. Of course, these Easter eggs were, you know, discovered and quickly disseminated. Nowadays, I think game developers put the Easter eggs in and then later tell people so that it will come out. You know, the famous up, down, left, right, left, right, up, down, left, right. <laughs> uh, any good Easter eggs uh, in any uh, any recent games? Let me know. 8888-ASK-LEO. We used to do this every Easter. I would, t- I would share Easter eggs. We'd share Easter eggs. But they're not as many. They're not as plentiful as they used to be. Microsoft Excel had an entire flight simulator built into it at one point. Not sure which version of Excel that was. Was it 2003? A full, a full flight simulator. 8888 ask Leo. Does Portal 2 have some Easter eggs? Mm. I know Blu-ray DVDs often do. Hidden stuff. Um, Black Ops has Zork in it. Really, the the yeah, the the text adventure. That's pretty cool. That just shows you how uh, how small these early games were. 888-827-5536. Marvin's in uh, North Carolina. He's a trucker just passing through. Hi, Marvin. Well, hello, Leo. How's it going today? It's great. Welcome to the show. Okay, well, what I called about is uh, I have a laptop with Windows 7 on it, and I got some nasty little bugger on it that uh, would slow down my boot up. And each time I would turn the computer on, it would take longer and longer and longer until eventually it was on a permanent boot-up. Oh, boy. Uh, so uh, Now, now i got to tell you, that does not mean automatically that you have a virus or a bug. It could very well just be a hard drive that's failing. In fact, that's what it sounds like. No, no, not at all. I did some investigating. Since it was on startup, I, I did my command prompt and uh, msconfig uh, into my startup. And I found hundreds and hundreds of just numerical uh, executables in your in your config sys. No, yeah, yeah. In the when you hit the startup tab after it comes. Wow. Yeah, those are all. Uh, well, we don't know what those are, but those very could very well be legitimate. Well, That's normal. Uh, Windows starts up, literally starts up hundreds of processes when it boots. Right. Uh, but under the startup, it's much more limited under the actual startup tab. All right. All right. I'll, I'll, give, I'll take it that uh, you know what you're doing and that you are seeing stuff that doesn't belong there. So 
I'll be honest. If you're a good antivirus or a good virus author, you make sure that those things don't show up in the startup tab. <laughs> so anyway, I un I unchecked everything, and it took about a half hour to go through the whole list of things because uh, it was just way too many to do. Uh, and then it worked fine. Anyhow, I found the. Uh, file that all these executables were in and what they were is self-replicating right they want to be they want to be a moving target for you uh, so uh I, I deleted all of them what my question is is the list is still in the stack. yeah you're you're not going to get rid of it by unchecking the box in ms config got bad news for you well, uh, yeah, actually, I found the folder that the executables were in and deleted all of them. Okay, can I can I just say what you need to do? Okay. You need to format the drive and start over. You're not going to find everything by doing this. If you did, it would be so easy to get rid of viruses. These guys don't want you to get rid of them. So finding the folder, unchecking it in msconfig, none of that's going to work. It's a moving target. Uh, I can tell you some tools, but to be honest with you, as soon as I hear a, a system that's infected like this, it's it's really you'd be much better off, and it'd save you a lot of time because it's because it's time consuming to do this by hand. Back up your data, format your drive, and reinstall from a from an install disk from a known good copy of Windows. Uh, the cocky uh, tech experts at your local computer shop who say, I can fix that, I can fix that, I can solve that. Uh, don't listen to them. Because, yeah, they probably can get rid of a lot of it. They can run malware bytes, and they can run Microsoft's deep scanning tool. There's quite a few of them. If you've got Windows 7, you already have Microsoft's malicious software removal tool. Just go click Start, Run. This is much better than doing what you're doing, by the way. Click Start, Run. And enter MRT return. Microsoft has a new thorough scan tool they've just released. None of it will get rid of everything. You're much better off. Slayer Dork says, I work in a computer store. We back up and restore. That's what you do. Because uh, you think you've got everything. All you need is one thing left around that you didn't see and you're dead. So please, a clean. it'll save you time too because it's, it's very time consuming to do this. Go through all these scans and search and destroy and satisfying. And it makes the geek in the computer store feel good about himself. I can get rid of anything. I'm smarter than those hackers. If you're smarter than those hackers, why are you working in a computer store? Seriously, format the drive. Be much better off. 8888-ASK-LEO. More of your calls to come. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Chocolate rain. Taste on day. Build a 
Remember that? You know, we're going to have fun in about 20 years remembering all these weird net memes that came and went so quickly. That's one of them. Chocolate rain. This portion of the Tech Guy Show brought to you by my internet service provider, DSL Extreme, for high-speed internet at an amazing price. Call 866-2-GET-NET to get chocolate rain. Oh, that's fun. There, I mean, it's uh, these internet, they call them memes because they uh, they're, they kind of telegraph themselves worldwide in seconds. And they go for a while and they're, they're all the rich. Rebecca Black's Friday is a good example. And then, you know, a week later, it's what? Huh? I don't remember that. They just go quick. And frankly, Kyle, I had forgotten that song. So thanks. Just for that, I'm going to play the hamster dance over and over again. No! 8888. Ask Leo. I think we'll have fun, though. Don't you think in 20 years, we'll we'll have fun reminiscing about the Numa Numa guy and the hamster dance and chocolate rain and all of that stuff. <laughs> not the the dancing baby that was that was one of the first memes i ever saw so uh, we had a caller last uh, half hour who said how do i block results in google i did check the google settings you have to have a google account it's easy to create at the very bottom of the settings the search settings manage is manage blocked sites if you don't like a site that appears in your search results you can block all the pages within that site then you won't see any of these pages when you're signed in and searching on google you can block up to 500 sites, but understand, you're blocking them from your search results, not anybody else's. So I have a feeling what Danny wanted, I, I, you know, I hear this from time to time. People say, there's a site that says something bad about me. It could be a, it could be a lie. It could be not true, but it still says something bad about me. And you know what? There's not much you can do about that. There are companies that do reputation defense, but it's not like you can... I mean, you can if you went to court, I guess. You could get a court order and get that person to pull that site down. But it's like whack-a-mole, good luck, because then they just do another one and another one. Maybe they'll do the next one uh, offshore where the courts can't get to them. It's very The Internet is a global, un, basically unregulatable global phenomenon. And so there's nothing much you can do about it. The way these reputation defense sites work is... <laughs> They just create a lot more pages about you that are that are nice. And they hope that Google notices them and not the bad page. They can't, very rarely can they pull the bad page down. If it is on the internet, it exists. And there's, and it, I mean, this is unfortunate, especially if it's a lie. Um, and it's very frustrating to a lot of people, especially public figures who are used to getting some protection. But it, it, it's, there's very little you can do about it. So, yes, you can manage blocked sites in Google. It is built into your Google search settings, but it's just for you. Phone number is 888-827-5536. Let's go to Boardman, Oregon. Roger's our next caller. Hey, Roger, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Leo. How are you? I'm sorry. Say again, Roger. I, I had it uh, muted. Okay. Sorry. I just said, how are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> uh, okay. 
Um, I, it was the chocolate rain. I had to turn it down. <laughs> I, uh, I know very little about computers, but I am trying to learn. Uh, one question that I had, I go into uh, my computer, which is a Dell 2300. It's ancient. Uh, Windows XP. Uh, on my computer, local disk C, which whatever that is says it has 4.02 gigabytes of space. That sounds pretty good. Uh, well, I only have 814 megabytes available space. I oh, have, the t- oh, so it's telling you the total space on the high drive is 4 gigs, but you only have 800 megs left. Yes, and I ah. did everything I could possibly think of and still make well, first of all, let me say 800 megabytes isn't too bad, Roger, but that's a very small drive to begin with. I don't even know what's in this thing. It was, ah. it was given to me, and I, that, that started my learning curve on computers, other than the fact that I went to a few websites that I probably should not have gone to uh, concerning computers. And got bit by the computer bug, and now I've decided, by golly, I'm going to build one. Good. So, uh, but anyway, the first question I had was, what's taking up so much space? (laughs) Well, there are programs that you can uh, get um, that will show you graphically uh, what is on your hard drive in, you know, big colored blobs. And and I'll and I'll give you the name of those programs in a bit. But I think that there's a larger issue here. Uh, whenever you get a donated computer from somebody, unless you really trust that person, do you really trust that person? My ex-wife. Okay, so you want to format that hard drive? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But you you may you may want to start fresh, because. Um, yeah, I would. I would say. Do you have a, an install, a Windows install disk there? No. Okay. You don't have any disks at all. The only disk that, that came with the computer when she gave it to me was Windows Office. Of yeah. Deleted. Uh, pronto. You're kind of you're kind of in in a little bit of a bind here. I mean, I'll I'll tell you a couple of programs. I went and one. There's one called Winder W I N D I R S T A T. That's short for Windows Directory Statistics. It's at winderstat.info, and it will show you in a beautiful way, a graphical way, what uh, what's on there. In fact, those blobs, you can hover a mouse over it, and it'll say, "Well, this is all video, and this is the largest one." Uh, it could well be that, for instance, your uh, Windows page file is occupying a considerable amount of of uh, space there. There are things you can do, but since you're not, uh, you know, real experienced in all this, I'd hesitate to just kind of willy-nilly delete stuff. You could easily delete something you need, yeah, like that, your, your operating system. Uh, I knew I didn't need Windows Office. Uh, I don't use. So the key on that, by the way, is not to just drag it to the trash can or the recycle bin, but to, in fact, uninstall it. So one thing you might want to do, what version of Windows? Is it XP? Yeah, XP. Okay. So in the control panels, uh, there is a uh, add remove programs entry. They've renamed it in uh, later versions of Windows, but it was still add remove during XP. 
And in the Add Remove Programs, it'll show you a list of installed programs. Uninstall anything you're not using. Okay. Uh, is there only one drive in it? Uh, hard drive? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because, I mean, 4 gigs is pretty small. I, I'm just looking at my keychain here, and I have 38 gigs on my keychain. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it is a bone stock. Uh, yeah. Dell. It, on here. Yeah. I mean, you could call Dell and I think and say I lost my uh, recovery disks, and for I think a fairly nominal fee, they might send you a new set of recovery disks. Um, you 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 probably uh, what I would suggest is uh, is if you can get a copy of Windows and reinstall it there. If you can get a copy of Windows, I would get a new hard drive for eighty bucks. You can get a hard drive. That is 100, no, 1,000 times bigger, and uh, you will never run out of space again. I understand you're new to this, Roger, and, uh, and I honor your interest. And that's this, you know, there's a program you can use. Uh, you could do add-remove programs, but the best thing would be to install and start over. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. show happy easter everyone 88 ask leo's a number mark in tarzana california hey mark leo laporte the tech guy hi leo hi how are you i'm good thanks you know what i want to do is record my xbox live gameplay onto my macbook pro i'm not the most computer savvy guy i just need a simple way to do it is there a simple way to do that Oh, there's got to be. So your Xbox 360 right? It has uh, both component out and HDMI out, as I remember, right? Right. Um, so you need to get... Now, of course, part of the problem is uh, you want to watch it at the same time as you're recording it. Well, yeah, right. I'll, yeah, you can't, you can't just record it. You got to do something. Right. So it sounds like, um, well, there are a couple of possibilities. Um, what I would, I mean, this is the expensive solution, but uh, you didn't say that not to not to make it expensive. Did you want it? Inex- did you want it inexpensive? Well, yeah, of course. Oh shoot! <laughs> what I what we would do in studio here is we'd get Black Magic makes a card that takes HDMI in. You put it in a Mac Pro. And you connect your Xbox 360 to that card. It displays on your screen, and then you can record that on your Mac. But that's 500 bucks. so let's not do that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, do, you have an, do you have an Xbox? Uh, actually, I should have asked. Uh, do you have an Xbox 360, uh, a more recent one, that has HDMI, or do you not have HDMI on it? No, it has HDMI. Okay, so it's, it's one of the more recent Xbox right. 360s. Um. So uh, some people are saying a, a PVR, but see, a PVR is not a good solution because then you have to get the data off the PVR, and that's not always easy. In fact, sometimes impossible. Um, 
Okay, 150 bucks. That's better. So the Black Magic card is a little less expensive. Roxio has a device that they've actually made because apparently you're not the only one who wants to do this. Mark, chat room's telling me about a Roxio game capture device. How do you like that? It's a hundred dollars. It's not cheap, but I think you're going to need some hardware to do this. It's not going to be something that you could just do on the Mac without a little bit of hardware. So this Roxio game capture says capture, edit, and share your Xbox 360 and PS3 gameplay. It now I don't. It's probably a Windows device. Let me just see off the top of my head what it what it works with. Yeah, of course it's Windows. Does it does it work on the Mac? No, it doesn't look like it. So this is uh, this is for the Windows users. It's a bit of hardware. Your Xbox goes into the hardware, and then the hardware goes into your computer. It's a it's a just really a a variation on a video capture device. And really, that's what you need. Uh, any good video capture device that can do this is going to probably cost you around a hundred bucks. I use Pinnacle System boxes; they work fine with the Mac. Uh, Pinnacle Systems. Uh, the ADVC 110 would probably be good enough. You just have to make sure that it matches the outputs of your Xbox 360, and then it goes into your computer via FireWire, as you're on a Mac, and um, and you can watch it, record it, and edit it. So the Pinnacle ADVC 110. Yeah, well, uh, that doesn't that one does not take HDMI; it takes VGA out. So you have to. Uh, I'll have to go to Pinnacle Systems and look for the model number that you're going to need because it's not, it's PinnacleSysYS.com. It's not, um, and Black Magic Card is, is very similar to this. You want one that can take, I think for your Xbox 360, it is, uh, it is it, the, if you've got the most recent one, either an Elite or the most recent one, uh, the Slim, it's uh, HDMI or component. So you're going to need a converter. ADVC says to stands for analog to digital video converter. You're going to need a converter that will take the video out of the Xbox 360, either HDMI or component, and turn it into bits, USB or FireWire, so that you can record them and end them. Uh, anybody got a better way to do that? Elgato makes a number of these products. Elgato, ITV, I use that. Actually, this would work pretty well because it's just it's a high definition video recorder. That's I think that's a good solution. Also not cheap. But this records from the component video coming out of your Xbox. You'll see it on your Mac. You can play the game on your Mac and record it on the Mac at the same time. It's designed for TV, but it's the same thing. I mean, your Xbox 360 is essentially a, a TV device. So that's another way to do it. All of these are going to cost around 100 150 bucks. Good luck. Sounds like fun. There are people doing this like crazy. If you go to a YouTube, you'll see a ton of games and so forth. Hey, before we uh, go uh, on, and I got another call from Detroit, Anthony on the line. He's having a little trouble with his internet connection. Larry in Connecticut is a Sprint phone uh, and he wants to upgrade it. So we'll talk about that. Uh, There's some good new stuff from Sprint. But first, let me tell you about backing up with Carbonite. Carbonite online backup. It's the best way to back up because it's automatic so you don't have to remember it. It backs it up off-site, so if the worst happens, you have a fire or a flood or, you know, somebody comes in and steals all your stuff, they don't get the backups. The backups are always safe. And there's another advantage to doing that, to backing up to the cloud, is you can use your iPhone, your iPad, your BlackBerry phone, your Android phone, and you can see your data. It's cloud-based storage. You just log on to your Carbonite account, and there it is, or your PC or your Mac. I love that part. 
I put carbonite on my daughter's uh, laptop before she went to college. She has not lost it yet. Knock on wood right now. She has not lost it yet. But I wanted to make sure that if she's working on a paper or a project and something goes wrong with a hard drive, because you know it always does, or she or the laptop gets stolen, that's a big problem, of course, in colleges, or she leaves it behind, that she can, she's not going to be out of luck. She'll be able to get to that paper. She can go to the library, use the computer there, and finish the project. That's what Carbonite does for you. I love it. Less than five bucks a month for backing up everything on your internal drive. I want you to try it free for two weeks. Just go to Carbonite.com. Use uh, my name, Leo. That's no credit card or anything. Just try it. See if you like it. If you do, when you decide to buy, use my name, Leo, again, and you'll get two months additional on the 12-month subscription. Two months free. Got to back it up to get it back. If you're not backing up or you don't have a backup strategy you can trust completely, I want you to go to Carbonite.com and try it today. Carbonite. It's backup. All right. Line two, Anthony, Detroit, Michigan. Hello, Anthony. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Good good you there for us. Thank you for being there. I'm here, baby. What can I do for you? Hey, uh, I can't um, get any videos on my computer, you know, that, that, uh, that go along with a, a news story or something. Uh, my, they want me to upgrade. They said I need to upgrade my uh, Adobe Flash yeah. um, reader. Or, and when I try to download it, uh, nothing happens. It don't even... Um, download it don't even begin to download it okay so you got to be a- really careful by the way this is a one way that bad guys use to get into your system uh and they do this on on facebook a lot you'll see uh, somebody will send somebody you know will send you a facebook message that says anthony i got video from last night you won't believe this it'll say your name it came from somebody you know it's a link oh my gosh i what i don't remember what happened i thought i was home last night did i did i do something oh my goodness so you'll you'll freak out that's what they want, by the way. They don't want you thinking. They want you acting. You'll click that link. It'll take you to a page that looks just like YouTube. And uh, and you'll go, oh, my goodness. It's on YouTube. And you'll click play, and it'll say, sorry, your flash is out of date. Oh, no. Wait a minute. Oh, no. Quick. Quick update flash because I got to see this video. What did I do last night? And it won't be flash. It won't be flash. It will be a bug. It'll be malware. You'll download it, install it, and now you know you'll never see the video because there is no video. It'll say, I, "I can't play it. Sorry," but now you're infected. So be very careful, folks, when you get these messages. Now you do need to get the Flash Player updated. Uh, if you Google Flash Player, you'll find an Adobe page. It's Adobe.com. Adobe makes it slash product slash Flash Player. And you want to install that, version 10.2. Probably what's happened is, uh, actually, get, this is the direct uh, link, get.adobe.com slash flash player. You know, I got an easier way to do this. And it's a better and a more secure way, Anthony. Get Google Chrome. It's a better browser, that Fire. I think, than Firefox or even IE, and it's free. It's from google.com slash chrome, C-H-R-O-M-E. It has Flash built in. Chrome is very secure. In fact, one of the things it does is it builds a sandbox around Flash so the, so the, the Flash, which has had security issues, is protected, and it's just a great browser. And, and this will fix your Flash problem. You can go to get.adobe.com and get the new Flash. Don't get it anywhere else. Remember, bad guys use this. Get it from Adobe. 
And that may fix the problem. If not, try Chrome. Google.com slash Chrome. <sighs> We're out of, out of time. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you, everybody. I'll see you next week. Have a great Geek Week. Leo Laporte, the tech guy.